You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. The reading today is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 29. Go in through the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction is broad and the road wide, so many people enter through it. But the gate that leads to life is narrow and the road is difficult, so few people find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you dressed like sheep, but inside they are vicious wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do people get bunches of grapes from thorny weeds, or do we get figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, and every rotten tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a rotten tree can't produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, you will know them by their fruit. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. On the judgment day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and do lots of miracles in your name? Then I'll tell them, I've never known you. Get away from me, you people who do wrong. Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. It didn't fall because it was firmly set on bedrock. But everybody who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice will be like a fool who built a house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. It fell and was completely destroyed. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them like someone with authority and not like their legal experts. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them like someone with authority and not like their legal experts. Today we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We've spent several weeks reading and meditating on this scripture. And in the past four weeks, we've seen a whole new definition of who's blessed, of who the holy ones of God are. They're the losers in this competitive dog-eat-dog society. Then we moved to looking at the law of society in a different way, in a different tradition, one that challenges just how the law is applied. And we look to the spiritual work of this new tradition, the one invoked by words of prayer and giving and fasting that are done to build up relationships and not just our egos. And last week we looked to the root causes of life's pain and what Jesus tells us we can do about it. This week we're brought face to face with ourselves. So far until today, we've heard nice words and the sort of stuff that we can listen to and nod our heads and even say, yeah, we've heard that before. Sounds good. Sounds right. That ends today. 
Today we have to confront ourselves. We need to decide just what we're going to do about what we've heard. This then might be a good time to take a few minutes to review in a little more detail what the Sermon on the Mount has been telling us, what Jesus has been preaching. It's good to begin by reminding ourselves just who it is we're listening to. John Wesley began his 13-part sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount by reminding us of exactly who that is and what's happening here. This is John Wesley. The Son of God who came from heaven is here showing us the way to heaven, to the place which he hath prepared for us, the glory he had before the world began. He is teaching us the true way of life everlasting, the royal way which leads to the kingdom and the only true way, for there is none other besides. All other paths lead to destruction. From the character of the speaker, we are well assured that he hath declared the full and perfect will of God. He hath uttered not one tittle too much, nothing more than he had received of the Father, nor too little. He hath not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God, much less hath he uttered anything wrong, anything contrary to the will of him that sent him. All his words are true and right concerning all things and shall stand fast forever and ever. The full and perfect will of God in plain English, in simple terms, directed to us. Brian McLaren has a very good summary. I'm going to take a moment. It's in the book that we've been using. And it is a good summary to to focus us. Be among the lowly in spirit, remain sensitive to pain and loss, live in the power of gentleness, hunger and thirst for true righteousness, show mercy to everyone rather than harshness. Don't hide hypocrisy or duplicity in your heart, work for peace, be willing to joyfully suffer persecution and insult for doing what is right. Dare to be a nonconformist by being boldly different, like salt and light in the world. Demonstrate your differences through works of generosity and beauty. Reject both mindless conformity to tradition and rebellious rejection of it. Instead, discern the true intent of tradition and pursue that intent into new territory. Never hate nor hold grudges, nor indulge in anger. Instead, aim to be the first to reach out a hand in reconciliation. Don't nurture secret fantasies to be sexually unfaithful. Ensure fidelity by monitoring your desires, the way you see as by the eye, and the way you hold as by the hand for pleasure. And do not settle for maintaining the appearance of legality and propriety. Aspire to a true fidelity in your heart. Avoid word inflation when making vows. Instead, practice clear, straight speech. Reject revenge. Pursue instead creative and nonviolent ways to overcome the wrongs done to you. Love your enemies as well as your friends, and in that way imitate God's big, generous heart. Cultivate a hidden life of goodness by giving to the poor, praying and fasting secretly. Pray in secret through four movements of your heart, Orient yourself toward a caring yet mysterious God. Align your desires with God's great desire for a just and compassionate world. Bring to God your needs and concerns and prepare to re-enter the world of the public, a world of temptation and oppression, trusting God to guide you.
Remember that God isn't setting up a forgiveness market, but is building a whole forgiveness economy. Don't let greed cloud your outlook on life, but store up true wealth by investing in a growing portfolio of generosity and kindness. Be especially vigilant about money becoming your slave and your master. Don't let anxiety run and ruin your life, but instead trust yourself to God's gracious parental care. Don't develop a sharp eye for the faults and failures of others, but instead work first on your own blindness. Don't push on people treasures they're not ready for or can't appreciate. Go to God with all your needs and don't be discouraged if you face long delays. Remember that God loves you as a faithful, caring parent. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Realize that aliveness includes tough choices and that thriving includes suffering. And don't be misled by religious talk. What counts is actually living by Jesus' teaching. What counts is actually living by Jesus' teaching. In what we heard today in the Sermon of the Mount, didn't you notice that abrupt change in voice? Do you note the shift from advice to a very direct warning? Actually, a series of three warnings. First, the way God's way may be simple, but it's not easy. It's hard and narrow. Second, you can fool yourself by being pulled away. By being pulled away by listening to others or by fooling yourself. There are ways to prevent that self-delusion. Jesus calls it looking to the fruit, to what those results might be. As for being led astray by the false prophets and teachers and leaders, here's some, some tests. Does it seem easy? Does the way you're hearing guarantee prosperity in this world rather than in the next, either for the one preaching it or you? Is there a way of prosperity for them, but only a promise for you? Does this teaching condone or excuse methods that are violent or work to self-aggrandizement for you or for the leaders? Does it preach a gospel of othering, of making others an enemy? If it's any of those, then that fruit cannot be good. And the third, the difference between those who only hear and those who actually do. And this is a promise. If you do it, it will be all right. It will be a loving God. It will be the rewards of having been a faithful servant. And what does this doing mean? Recall some time ago we talked about having to make a decision. The decision then, a few weeks ago, was do you believe him? Do you believe Jesus in his parables and teachings? Now we have to decide whether to follow him. And here in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us exactly what to do and how to do it and why to do it. That's a spiritual practice. Too often we think of a spiritual practice as something we do by ourselves away from the world or something that's done by saints and monks and nuns in convents and monasteries. But here in the Sermon on the Mount, we're told what to do and how to do it and how to get the strength to do it. Those three things together 
what to do, how to do, and getting the strength to do it. That together is our spiritual practice as Christians. They are the sum of the Christian way. Too often we get caught up in being a Christian by defining a Christian in terms of what we believe or in terms of what we believe in Jesus Christ or claims or we get caught up in claiming we're Christians because we belong to a certain type of church or to a certain type of discipline. Or we claim we're Christians because of our church's creeds. And all of that is really beside the point. All of those things I've just listed are made by humans trying to describe a Christianity, but still human-made. We claim all of these human definitions instead of following what we've been told in a 10-minute sermon. That's how long it takes to read these three chapters of Matthew and to read them slowly. 10 minutes, actually less than 10 minutes, about nine and a half. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them like someone with authority and not like their legal experts. Here's what I take away. Um, what, what I'll share with you. Uh, and if we could have that, that slide, please. That what the sermon comes down to, the Sermon on the Mount, is to wake up for Christ's sake. Wake up. It's what the Sermon on the Mount comes down to, to wake up to live as God would have us live, as God is telling us how to live. Read the sermon often. As I say, it's only three chapters in Matthew, and it takes less than 10 minutes to read. If you can't read it often, read it at least once or twice a year. And if you can't do that, read McLaren's summary, what I just read. It takes a lot less than 10 minutes. And it'll get you part of the way. And for those days when you can't read it or you want to bring it to mind, try this prayer. Oh God, instead of experiencing this day as a series of random incidents and accidents, let me experience this day as a series of divine appointments and encounters. And if you want to copy that prayer, get a hold of me. And if you don't have the time even for that, try this prayer. Oh God, let me see this person in front of me as you see them. This prayer is always answered. And if you don't have time to do that, wake up. Look at this world. Wake up. Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. It didn't fall because it was firmly set on bedrock. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them like someone with authority, the authority of God. I want to end this sermon and at the same time begin our prayer time with praying the Lord's Prayer for it, because it contains in its own way the keys to this Sermon on the Mount. Reverend Nadia Boltz-Weber teaches 
this prayer in an expanded version that I will go with you on. So pray with me and Nadia. Our Father, our Mother, our Holy Parent, the source of all being from whom we came and to whom we return. You who know us better than we know ourselves. Jesus called you Abba and so shall we. Even as we may have an ambiguous relationship with parenthood, be to us our Holy Parent, the one who loves without condition. Who art in heaven, our Father who art in everything, our Father who art in orphanages and neonatal units and jail cells and luxury high-rises, who art in law offices and adult bookstores, and who art in rooms alone with suicidal people. Our Father who art in the halls of Congress and the halls of tenements. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Ever since the beginning, we have attributed our own ego and wishful thinking and greed and malice and racism and ambition and manipulations of others to you and to your name. And yet your name remains holy. We print in God we trust on the U.S. dollar and then worship that dollar and the power that dollar brings. And yet still your name remains holy. Thy kingdom come. God, right now we beg you to bring more than just a small measure of heaven to earth because if you haven't noticed, we're in a global pandemic and there are unjust wars waged on innocent people in Yemen and Ethiopia and the Ukraine, not to mention the earth is on fire. It's a mess down here, Lord, so we need your kingdom to speed up. We need wise leaders and just systems and extra doses of compassion for all of us. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will and not ours be done. Forgive us when we use prayer as a self-help technique by which we can get all the cash and prizes we want out of your divine vending machine if we just kind of bug you to death through ceaseless prayer. Because when it comes down to it, we know better. You are our Father whose name is holy and whose love is boundless and who, as our holy parent, wants to hear our prayers. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread, our daily naan, our daily tortillas, and our daily rice. Lord, give us real bread, even when we keep reaching for those literal and metaphorical Krispy creams. Give us the gift of enoughness. May our response to perceived scarcity always be increased generosity for who we are as your children, and from you we receive everything. Give us today our desire for the neighbor to be fed. Give us today a desire for a good that is held in common. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us when we hate what you love. Forgive us when we would rather anesthetize ourselves than feel anything. Forgive us for how much we resent in others the same things we hate in ourselves. Forgive us for the terrible things we think about our own bodies, bodies you've made in your image. And this one is hard, but please forgive us for thinking we know the hearts of our enemies. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the inclination that we too do not have evil in our hearts. Deliver us from religious and national exceptionalism. Deliver us from addiction and depression. Deliver us from self-loathing. Deliver us from self-righteousness. Deliver us from high fructose corn syrup. Deliver us from a complete lack of imagination about where you are in our lives and how you might already be showing up. Deliver us from complacency. Deliver us from complicity. 
as Jesus taught us, we're throwing this bag of prayers at your door. We're not asking nicely, Lord. We are your children, and we are claiming your promises as our own today. Some of us are holding your feet to the fire. Some of us don't know if we believe in you. Some of us are distracted and just going through the motions. Some are desperately in love with you. But all of us are your children. Use these prayers to hammer us all into vessels that can accept the answer when it comes. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And the children of God say, Amen. Amen.